welcome to What Is My Podcast About. This is a podcast where on a fortnightly basis we get together and discuss a random topic. My name as always is Keith Ramsey and I am joined by Matthew Grace. Hey! And Peter Akerley. Howdy! Uh, so it's, I guess, been a bit of an active week for us. Uh, if you're listening in order, I guess you would notice that we did release an episode last week to follow up our JoJo arcs. So it's a bit of a episode-filled month. A uh, little bit yeah. of a bizarre time. I can't. I just can't. I was going to talk <laughs> about how this is going to be a good summer for us and we're going to get lots of episodes out, but no, I I just can't anymore. Podcast cancelled? Fuck it. We'll do it for the fans. All right. <laughs> um, so, so what's going on in the world other than, you know, the shit fact. I refuse to believe? The fact <laughs> that we finally have a trailer and a release date for Elden Ring? I said other than shit I refuse to believe. There's no way this Elden news is real. I'm still con- uh, convinced it's just a shared fever dream. I enjoyed the idea that I'm going to wake up in a couple hours and realize we still have to record a podcast today. That's that's where my mind's at right now. I'm going to wake up, I'm going to realize that Elden Ring never happened and we have to record a new podcast. Of course, uh, this information might be very strange considering we're recording this, you know, just before the weekend when E3 happens. <laughs> so us joking about this can easily be, you know, dated by the time this episode goes up on Monday. Oh, yeah, this episode's going to go out and fucking E3 will have already happened where we'll, they'll have the announcement that the fucking Elden Ring thing was a meme all along and they're actually canceling development on it. <laughs> but uh, I seriously hope not. They, they I, long enough for this. I would laugh my fucking ass off if we got that during E3. That fucking January 2022 when the like release date they, they announced is just when they're going to release their development tools and see if someone else can make it work. <laughs> I mean, like, just go to the like Elden Ring subreddit and like, if whether it's announced or not, I think it's going to be a good time there. It's like, oh, we've handed <laughs> all creative privileges over to George R.R. R. Martin, so uh, the game's never coming out. Uh, the thing I was joking about earlier was, wouldn't it be great if they released the game and then as soon as you boot it up and it's just like an RTS? Yeah, we one of the things we discussed was the idea of it just launching Skyrim. Like it downloads <laughs> and it downloads as Elden Ring, but when you launch it, it's just fucking Skyrim again. And Todd Howard you? managed to awake. sell it to you again. Finally awake. You said remembering something about an Elden Ring. I like the idea of them doing that, waiting a week. Uh, for like the internet to go truly insane over the fact that Elden Ring is just Skyrim and then revealing that Elden Ring is the next DLC for Skyrim that they're releasing many years after the last DLC for Skyrim. To be and... fair, uh, I don't think it's the internet would go insane. I think it's specifically the Elden Ring subreddit. Oh yeah. Oh, to be fair, they're already insane. Like we were browsing through it and fucking several hours before the announcement went live about Elden Ring having a release date, they were on the subreddit. Uh, Noticing shit like the main website that Bandai Namco has for Elden Ring was updated earlier today, so clearly something's fucking coming that they're still hiding. And it's just like, man, that means someone was in there looking at the update logs and just refreshing on a daily basis, probably more often than a daily basis, and happened to catch this one before the fucking update went live. You gotta do it every 30 minutes, just to be sure. Jeez, like, I feel bad for the people of that subreddit. Clearly they lost their minds a long time ago and no one's had the heart to tell them. So, uh, not much has happened, but there was something uh, I noticed that was kind of interesting, which I don't know what to think about. Kind of in the same idea of Elden Ring. Did you guys know they're doing another Jackass movie? 
No, I, I did don't. hear about that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, know. I don't know how to feel about this. Aren't all the guy like? I haven't been reading into it too much, but I assume it still involves the same people. And aren't all of them like in their fucking forties or fifties now? What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, that's, that's about right. Uh, it's what ten, fifteen years since the last one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently it still stars all the same people. Um, and apparently both Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O were hospitalized on the fourth day, or no, the second day of filming the new movie. (laughs) Oh my god. Because fucking of course they were. You see, yeah. Uh, Johnny Knoxville turned 50 in March, or 40 in March. Jesus. Alright, yeah, sorry, go on. There's a fundamental problem with the concept of jackass existing in the modern age, and that's YouTube and Reddit. Yeah, uh, jackass existed because there was nowhere you could go to find videos of dumb people doing dumb things. Now, everywhere you go, you're going to find videos of people doing this kind of shit. Yeah, you don't need a movie about it anymore. I'm still going to watch it. I'm just (laughs) sad that it's still a thing that exists. That will exist. Eh, potentially. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. And I don't know uh, if this has been announced for a while, but apparently uh, Robert Daniel Jr. is coming back for a Sherlock Holmes 3. What is people pulling shit from over 10 years ago and being like, this is cool again? I mean, I don't mind. Like, those Sherlock Holmes movies are really good. I suppose it depends on how they play it, because at this point... If they play it like 10 years have passed in universe and Sherlock has gone through one of those mental breakdowns that he goes through in fucking storylines because someone died that wasn't supposed to die. I mean, uh, the last movie ended with the Reichbach Falls, so he's presumed dead at the end of it. Yeah, so as long as they like take account for that, I guess so. But it feels to me slightly like they're confused about what to do to make money because the fucking god damn it um the first one came out in i think 2009 so yeah that's a series from fucking yeah a decade ago the second one came out 2011 same year as iron man yeah but they consistently made movies (laughs) continuing the iron man fucking oh that's exactly what it was they i I, i've taken back my complaints i now perfectly understand uh, they always wanted to make a third Sherlock Holmes movie. Robert Downey Jr. was too fucking busy, caught up in the fucking Marvel Cinematic Making Universe. more money than he'll ever need. Exactly. So they couldn't actually afford the time or the money to uh, get Robert Downey Jr. to make another one. So this has just been on hold this entire time. Oh, it's not just Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Jude Law is also fucking Watson. They couldn't get anyone for this fucking... Uh, thing and now they're uh hopefully have all the cast available again and are capable of doing it now that the cast has become available only time will tell i'm i'm more on board with this now that i realized <laughs> the t- how the timing worked out and i can justify it in my head as not they're looking at a property from over 10 years ago trying to make money again and now looking at uh, looking at it as they've been wanting to make this for 10 years but couldn't afford Robert Downey Jr. You've heard it here first. The team behind Sherlock Holmes 3 actively uh, convinced Disney to kill off Tony Stark so they could steal Robert Downey Jr. back. 
Oh, 100%. It, it was like the fucking uh, Lord of the Rings with the creepy guy whispering in the king's ear all along, and it's just the guy, the fucking writer for fucking uh, Sherlock Holmes just came to the Kevin Feige, and he's like, Robert Downey Jr. is getting real expensive. You should probably kill him off and uh, get someone else to start taking over that role in the MCU. And Feige just kind of shrugged. I was like, all right, sure, whatever. We got enough plot <laughs> ways to work with. Well, I feel like the conversation more of, he shrugs. He's like, wait, do you mean kill off Robert Downey Jr.? Because that's what you said. Or do you mean his character? And the guy's like, fuck it, I don't care. And Feige yes. was like, well, we're Marvel. We can do what we want. I guess we'll start with uh, fucking Iron Man Tony Stark and see if we need to upgrade to Robert Downey Jr. to proceed. <laughs> so much like the um, Paul McCartney of his time, he's been dead the whole time and the Beatles had a stand-in. Yeah. Fuck. That That was dark. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I guess the last thing that happened uh, just a couple days ago, we had the first episode of Loki Air. Yep. I... So I watched it. I assume Keith also watched it, and I'm going to go right off on a limb and assume Matt hasn't watched it yet. Correct. So, won't get into spoiler territory or anything like that, but I actually really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the series immensely, and I think it's uh, building to big places. Oh, well, yeah. I and I enjoy uh, anything with Loki. Well, the vibe I get from this series, like, just from the first episode, is it's going to do a lot more world building than uh captain or cap the falcon and captain oh god why is the brain words not working the mephisto and winter mephisto <laughs> thank you <laughs> the falcon and the winter soldier that one uh well to be fair that and wandavision kind of set up those characters as captain america and uh the uh, scarlet witch, scarlet witch. feige's even this said one... that this one's gonna like do a lot for phase four moving forward yeah, it, those who felt like they did a lot of character growth uh, and a little bit less for world building, although there's this, still the potential that uh, WandaVision did a lot of world building that we just aren't aware of just yet. Yeah, This one feels all, right off the bat that it's less so about character growth and more so about world building because the character growth that needs to happen is they need to get the Loki from the fucking MCU who just died. Uh, they need to get back to him via the Loki who just tried to take over New York. So the character growth is character growth we've already seen happen. It's more so the world establishing that uh, needs to happen throughout the series. Yep. So it's poised to do a lot of that. They said the word multiverse in the se- uh, in the episode, so you know they're building towards that. Well, they also fucking said multiverse war in Nexus. Yep. It's just going to be a whole fucking thing. What do you think, Matt? Are you looking forward to it? I am looking forward to it. And oh, so one thing I'm I'm gonna wait until it's finished airing so I can binge it all. One thing I will tell you without going into anything else, they hit the Mephisto button real fucking quick in this season, because literally in the first half of the first episode, uh fucking uh Owen Wilson's character asks a little girl who did a bad thing, and the little girl's like, He did it, and she points to a stained glass picture of the devil. So they're jumping onto the Mephisto train real fucking early in this series. So I feel like I should also mention that the showrunners specifically after the episode came out just were like, clearly, we didn't plan on anything Mephisto happening in this series. Yeah. They're like, it's just kind no, of funny. That I know it looks like Mephisto, but there's no Mephisto. It's just funny how that fucking happened in the first half of the first episode. There's no Mephisto until everything is Mephisto. 
Although uh, they something the showrunners did say, which uh, something to look forward to, but don't get your hopes up too high. But they did state that when it comes to cameos and like reference stuff like that, they were told they were allowed to do pretty much anything as long as it was con- contractually allowed. Interesting. So, See, that's even less of a promise than we got from uh, fucking WandaVision about the cameos. And we all know how that one turned out, so I refuse to acknowledge the concept of cameos in these shows. Well, what what they were getting off of that, like, the speculation that's popping up for that one is we could see characters from other Marvel properties that weren't MCU. That's fair. Implying that, like, the multiverse that uh, is, you know, possibly out there, we might see things from that start popping up. Oh, so one thing I will say because this is a less of a spoiler about the series itself and more so just an explanation of what the TVA is, is the whole point of the TVA is they try and prune branches off timelines of like the timelines diverging and going all wild. So they their whole goal is anytime something happens that's not supposed to happen, they delete that timeline essentially. So I think it'd be real fucking funny to take some characters that people are wanting to see in the MCU and put them in one of those branches that just gets pruned. It's like, nope, we're never actually seeing that character. We put that character in here explicitly to show that we're removing that character from the MCU. No, Charlie never Cox. Gonna happen. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, dabbing Hulk. <laughs> uh, we will miss you. I don't think that's getting pruned, actually. <laughs> no, I think they explicitly said everything that happens in Adventures Endgame was supposed to happen, so... Dabbing Hulk was always planned and intended. You heard it here. The uh, Time Lords or whatever the fuck they're called fully approved Dabbing Hulk. Oh, Jesus. Well, enough of that crazy stuff. I think it's time to get into our topic. Some different crazy stuff. Yeah, this shit is still kind of crazy, what we're about to talk about. Yeah, uh, so uh, for this one, we all played Resident... Well, kind of. uh, Played Resident Evil Village. Oh, let's rephrase and say we all experienced playthroughs of Resident Evil. Yeah, uh, that much. is a more apt descriptor. But we all have different levels of experience too, because my understanding is Keith, you one hundred percented it. Yep, I did uh, three playthroughs and I got uh, approximately like three quarters of the achievements. And Matt, what's your experience with the game? I watched a playthrough. <laughs> cool. But before we get into this, uh, there was a dynamic I established that has to happen from this point forward. So, Matt, I need you to uh, briefly dis- describe what is Resident Evil Village. All right. As briefly as possible. So. Yeah, the protagonist is assaulted by the people who saved him in the previous chapter. And then he's thrown out of a car in front of a castle where there's vampires and werewolves who aren't actually vampires and werewolves, and they want his baby. Yep, I, I can't find that. Yep. Have you That's seen all... Demetrescu? You know what's going down? Yeah, 100% accurate. So yeah, uh, the, this game is a pretty much a direct sequel to 7, just as stated. So most of the gameplay mechanics and like characters are you know, straight pulled over the the big thing i do need to mention is the fact that apparently between these two games they could not agree on what chris redfield looks like yeah there were some pretty stark differences in chris redfield's appearance between seven and eight yeah because seven he looked kind of more like the logical conclusion of like original chris redfield from like the raccoon city days now he looks like more of a 
secret agent or something. Well, he's more in line with his Resident Evil 5 onward look. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, he, uh, like, seems bulkier and has grown out his beard. He's uh, visually distinct from Seven. I did not, uh, upon first glance, realize they were meant to be the same person. Well, it's Chris, like, it's literally the design they used for Five and Six. Yeah. Looking back on uh, some some character character art from Five, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I did laugh when one of the characters referred to Chris as the boulder puncher. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's specifically referred to as the boulder punching idiot, yeah. Or boulder punching asshole. Yeah, well, it's the great thing, like, there's a lot of references to other Resident Evil stuff. This game very much feels like it's almost a spiritual successor to Resident Evil 4 and what it did to the franchise. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, they call him Boulder Punching Asshole because, uh, as most of you would know, in Resident Evil 5, Chris punches a boulder to save Sheva, which people started questioning, well, how does Heisenberg know that Chris did this? And I'm like, how does anyone in the world not know that Chris did this? That would have been all over the news. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that, like, if that happened, I would tell everyone I goddamn knew that that had happened. Like, that would be the first thing I... I would be introduced to someone and be like, hi, nice to meet you. My name's Peter. By the way, that Chris Redfield guy, he punched a boulder to save someone's life. You hear about that? That's cool. It was in a volcano. Yeah. Yeah, to clarify, I'm not saying if I did that, I would tell everyone. I mean, if I just knew that that thing happened, I would tell people I knew. So, there's a baby in this one. Yeah. It's all about, in, in Resident Evil 7, you're saving your wife. In Resident Evil 8, you're saving your child. As far as you know, your wife's dead. Because you're having a nice little family together time with you, Mr. Ethan Winters, and your wife, and your baby. The word nice is a bit of a stretch there, Matthew. What do you mean? You didn't enjoy Baby Simulator? I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the game. I'm saying there was something very clearly off from the moment that scenario started. I like the part where I walked the baby into the front door and then we was like, hey, fucking watch it! I'm like, okay, fine. Jesus. I enjoyed the part where there's an achievement for playing soccer with one of the balls on the floor. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't realize I could put the baby down before getting the achievement. So it's me carrying a baby around while trying to kick a soccer ball through a window. It was a whole fucking thing. Um, but yes, it literally starts off with Mia reading your child a very creepy bedtime story about a child who got lost in the woods. And the forest animals helped her out. Until she started taking things, and then the forest animals killed her for taking too many things. Well, that's not exactly true. We just don't get the rest of the story until later on. Yeah, it's close enough. Because if I remember correctly, the story has to do with the mother and the father showing up, and then the father dies killing the witch. I'm sure this is not relevant to the story at all. Of course not. It's not like the... What were the ones? Fucking, uh... The bat. There's a bat that gave blood and then there was a, a mist lady that made clothes and then and there was a, a fish, fish that gave it scale yeah there's the fish yeah. man and then finally and then there is the giant mechanical deer that got really angry for some reason well because she took a golden cog because everything she'd be given by the previous ones was the only golden item they possessed so she saw a horse that couldn't talk and was like oh you're presenting me with a golden cog clearly you're trying to give that to me and so he got very pissed off and that started all the problems. But when do the crystals show up? In the real world. This is just a storybook that's completely unrelated from the actual game, Keith. 
No, it's sounding familiar. So yeah, your wife gets gunned down in the street. And by in the street, I mean at your dinner table. By Chris. And his goons. I think you mean uh, Wolfhound Squad? Yes, Wolfhound Squad. His goons. From our perspective at this point, very odd, considering Chris is the one who saved us in the previous game. I mean, I think it's fair just to ask right now. Did any of you guys think Chris was actually a bad guy? No. God, no. This man has been fighting B.O.W. since 96. Yeah, I did not have a doubt in my mind that he was a good guy. Um, I didn't know the exact twist that was coming. So my assumption early on... Fuck it, we're going to get into the twist. If you're not familiar with the key details of this game, fucking spoiler alert, don't listen to our podcast about the key details of this game. Um, But... Yes, to get into the twist, at the end of the game, we end up finding out that the Mia who got gunned down wasn't actually Mia. Mother Miranda is a shapeshifter. She took on the form of Mia to try and get into your household so she could steal your baby. Um, That's who Chris fucking guns down. That is not where I thought it was going in the beginning because I was not aware of the fucking Mother Miranda twist that was coming down the road. So my assumption was that Mia had somehow been indoctrinated because... There's a line about her going off the reservation and kind of becoming one with the locals. She reads this weird fucking storybook that was presented to her by one of the locals. The food that she's cooking for your family is a traditional local meal from the region. So the assumption I came to wasn't that Chris was evil or that Mia was actually Mother Miranda. The assumption I came to was that Mia had been indoctrinated by these people. Uh, and was going to end up just giving your child over. Well, the, the thing that I'm, I'm still like not even sure on is how long was Mia Miranda? I like to imagine that you guys had been together for like a couple months, and Miranda kept trying to take the baby and just kept getting thwarted by Chris, just like generally asking where she's going. So Miranda was just living as your wife for multiple months, <laughs> just like waiting for her opportunity. That I want, I want that as a sitcom now of like Miranda pretending to be Mia and just trying to get the baby constantly and like just you know the random hijinks. Yeah, because yeah. like, like Chris helped them relocate to where they're living there at the beginning of the game. Well, right? specifically through the BSAA connections. Yeah. So I assume that uh, it's like Mia just went out one day when they got there, and then that's when uh, Mother Miranda came along and did the little switcheroo. But, yeah, it's not really specified at all in the game when it happened. Yeah, I like to imagine that's why she looks at Chris with so much disdain at the end of the game when you first actually, like, run into her and she reveals that she's Mother Miranda. I have to assume it's because she was living with Chris for such a long time. She's like, God, I finally get to say it. You're a lousy roommate. You never do the dishes. And, like, that's why she was so pissed off and tore out your heart. Do you mean Ethan? Yes. Yes. And also, he doesn't have a face. The opening sequence makes it very clear that you never <laughs> see Ethan's face. I mean, it was the same in 7. You didn't see Ethan's face. He does have a face, True. though. There is a face. It's in the renders and all that. It's just they don't show it in the gameplay for some reason. So, like, a lot of people were like, oh, is it going to be, like, big, some big reveal? And, like, he's actually, like, you know, another fucking Wesker at this point? No. No, he's just got, like, a dude's face. He just yeah. looks like a normal fucking guy if, if you, like, see any of the renders of his face. He's just a dude. He's just a guy. Although this game definitely does turn a bit from uh, Ethan Winters into Ethan Chad Winters. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, he's. The, we learned throughout the game that he's a little bit less of an everyman than we were led to believe in earlier games. By earlier games, I mean Resident Evil 7. We go into this one kind of thinking of him, to quote a friend, as Ethan Everyman. He's not very much of an everyman once we kind of get into the game a little bit more. He's Ethan the only man. Yeah. As the only man I need in my life. He's Ethan Chad Winters. He does what he wants. He goes where he pleases. He one-man armies into the enemy stronghold and takes everyone out. (laughs) He gets his heart ripped out and then stands up and goes to kill the woman who took his child because that's what matters most in the world. Not having a heart, having his child not be in her hands. Uh, Now, I do... The most jarring... Or the more jarring point is, is earlier in the game when he his hands and cut off yeah. <laughs> and then oh. he just puts it back onto his stump and pours a little bit of the chem fluid on it uh, not even again not even that that was jarring the much more jarring is ever so slightly before that when he gets impaled on hooks through his hands and his like puzzle solving method of getting out of it is just tearing a hole through his hands with the hook. The so funny he thing can't be hung anymore. The funny thing about this too is like I probably should have figured it out because since seven, like Ethan is like just a sucker for punishment and taking the hard way out of all these problems. But I get hooked onto the thing. I'm like, okay, this is a Resident Evil game. Let's look around the room, see if we can solve this puzzle. There's a lever over there, and then I see the mark next to my hand. Like, oh no. No, don't not like this. No, as soon as that much damage started happening to Ethan, I knew that he had to have been infected by the mold or something during the events of Seven. What? Well, to be fair, the whole twist, which the twist is, hey, Ethan, you've been dead the whole time. You're just a mold mutant. I wasn't surprised. This twist is only for Ethan. Yeah, it's pretty fucking clear because most people can't like stick their stump to their hand and then dump water on it and be perfectly fine. Or in seven, he does it with his hand gets reattached, his leg, he has to reattach depending on if you're bad enough to get cut by uh, Jack the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But Ethan's just like, hmm, super water. Great for reattaching limbs. Everyone can do this, right? Yeah. But later in the game, it's revealed that he is killed at the beginning of seven. The most impressive part of it is I had to turn my resolution way down because my computer's not great. Uh, so it didn't even render a line where his sleeve had been cut. So it looked like the mold not only reattached his limb, but also like perfectly tailored his clothing as well. I, I, mean, I mean, did a pretty good job at fixing up his clothing. And to be fair, how the mold works is we've seen multiple characters when they die as the mold, the mold, their clothing also calcifies and destroys with them. So there has been the speculation that his clothing is mold. I don't believe this because that's stupid. He's like, Ethan has no idea that he's infected. He thinks he's just a normal person that can reattach limbs. Which he's kind of implies he's probably been taking his clothes off and putting it back on at some point in time. Unless he in- thinks everyone just magically changes their clothes after the incident. Yeah. But I think it's more so that the mold isn't just like fixing organic things but like you know it also you know has blocked off walls and stuff uh, so it could just be that he might have just naturally repaired the cloth cl- uh, the clothing as well without even noticing it yeah mm-hmm. but yeah uh ethan being infected not a surprise ethan being dead that one i'm like oh 
But I guess he, the same way he's kind of dead in the same way that Wesker has been dead since Resident Evil 1. Yeah. Yeah. It, or it was he, surprising to find out that he was actually dead dead. Yeah. But when you learned when exactly it happened, you're like, oh, yeah, that actually makes sense. <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't think... This game, but Resident Evil 7 as well. Yeah, honestly, I don't think Jack Baker's the one that killed him. I think it was getting the screwdriver through the hand and then the chainsaw taking the other hand off. Yeah. I think Mia killed him, and then Jack just finished it off. So somewhere's in there, he obviously gets infected by the mold, brings him back so he's able to reattach, and then the mold was essentially just keep him, keeping him animated from this point. And if you do keep in mind, the only characters that actually were cured of the mold uh, infection was Jack, Zoe, and Mia. Yeah, so... You, as Ethan, were never actually cured of it, because you only had a limited use of the cure, and you kind of had to choose who to use it on. And well, that and sadly, sticking it into your thigh was not one of the options. Well, that and there's no reason for the others to suspect that Ethan is infected because all of his shenanigans weren't done near the other characters in the game, or even at the end, Chris had no reason to suspect because he just kind of got thrown out of a building and shot something a few times. Yeah, whereas clearly at some point in time over the years, or however long it's been since Resident Evil 7. Mia has figured it out, because further spoilers, Mia doesn't actually die, she was just captured by Mother Miranda and kept in her lab for whatever reason. So, when Chris finally does save Mia, Mia's the one who reveals to Chris that Ethan is a mold person, so clearly she also figured it out at some point in time. Uh, it's just, no one realized it in the moment. I like the idea, too, of like if Ethan was, like, because Ethan does come off as a little bit stupid, like, not, like, really understand what's going on. Just him, like, they're magically changing his clothes and reattaching limbs that he's accidentally removing because he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. And she's like, hmm. Yeah, it's like him cooking dinner and, like, chopping vegetables and accidentally chopping a couple of his fingers off and then, like, just reattaching them and running them under the faucet <laughs> for a second. He's like, Honey, hmm. can you get the chem fluid and the green herbs for me? Why? I cut off my hand again. <laughs> And, like, it's just her writing in the diary, how the fuck does he not know yet? <laughs> I'm Ethan Winters. I'm just built different. But yes, uh, Ethan Winters isn't the only member of the Winters family who has mold-related powers, because that's the whole reason everybody's after his daughter, is yeah, because... since His daughter is a daughter of Mr. Mold and Mia. Who was infected by the mold also... at one point. Yes. His daughter is also a mold baby. Yeah, she's yes, effectively the same type of being as Evelyn from the first game, but Evelyn was genetically engineered to be compatible with the Metamyces and created the mold. A Rosemary was just naturally born with the ability. Yeah. Yes. You could say she was molded for her position. I guess that's a way to put it. You really think you're a fun guy, don't you, Matt? Oh, no. <laughs> So, um, shall we talk a bit more about the village itself and some of its fun inhabitants? Yeah, so this village is kind of run by Mother Miranda, who has the four lords and the townsfolk, and we kind of find out they're all, in a way, just experiments of her trying to resurrect her daughter. So for the four lords, who are also the bosses of the game, we got uh, Lady Dimitrescu, who is the tall nine-foot-six woman, who is... Kind of a vampire, but she's, you know, everything's a bioweapon in this. 
Uh, yeah, it's again. less so that she's a vampire, more so she has a genetic disease that means she needs to take in blood to constantly keep growing or something like that, and it's just well, the it's, way the mutation works, she became immortal. It's because her insane regenerative capabilities that uh, she grows so big. Yeah, well, effectively, yeah. she's really good at regeneration, so that's why she grows. But the reason she needs to constantly ingest new DNA through blood or flesh is because before she was mutated, she had a rare blood disease. So the mutation is constantly trying to like, protect against that. So if she's not taking an influx of new DNA, it takes over and turns into the flying dragon thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's actually the first one who hints at what's going on with Ethan Winters because she refers to his blood as stale. Or going stale. Uh, which is a oh, fun yeah. thing. Uh, yeah, but there's yeah, a lot so, of references to Ethan being dead in this game. So yes, there's Lady Demetresque. Uh, the next one that we get to interact with is Donna Bienviento, uh, who is a doll maker. Um, and the uh, scariest part of the game. Until yeah, you learn the baby mechanics. Yeah, even then, I like I speed ran that part on my two subsequent playthroughs. I still wasn't happy about doing that part. It's oh, very unpleasant. Not. It's very disturbing. But yeah, um, so her whole power is she can control plants that have specific spores, and then if humans ingest those spores, say through like pollen and inhaling, uh, then she can cause them to hallucinate whatever she wants them to, and so. That's how you kind of figure out that what you're going through in her part isn't actually you running through her mansion trying to solve problems. It's you hallucinating, probably collapsed in a heap in her fucking front hall. Well, she's off to the corner giggling at you. Yeah. Which is why you hear giggling throughout her segment. Um, well, not constantly, but whenever you get close to one of her dolls, you hear giggling. It's just unpleasant. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, third one is Dr. Moreau. Uh, which is a fun little nod to the Isle of Dr. Moreau, the guy who combined animals with people and did weird science experiments. That's a, a fantasy novel. That's not just an actual person who did that. Oh, I get it, because he's a fish. Yep. Also, if you read uh, his notes, he was combining metamyces with people making lichens. Yeah, he was the one yeah. creating the lichens because uh, essentially Mother Miranda created the Kadoo, which was essentially, or Kadoo, which was a form of the Metamyces that could be implanted into people to cause mutations. And Dr. Moreau was the scientist working for who was responsible for actually implanting them into people and studying the results. Um, and then last but not least is our good friend Heisenberg. The best of the bosses. Definitely. I just All of his stuff is just so great. I found myself like smiling stupidly or giggling at it. Yeah. yeah. Like he was legitimately... First of all, the most powerful of the bosses, because he is essentially Magneto, and then he controls all magnetic fields because he has electrical organs. Let's not get into the mechanics of yeah, it. Yeah, he has electrical uh, organs that are attached to his nervous system that allows him to influence magnetic fields. Yes, that was the mutation he got from the Kadu experiment. But he is insanely powerful because of it, um, to the point where the way you defeat him is... Chris makes a plastic sled that shoots bombs, and that's what you kill him with. <laughs> also, um, I just want to point out that he fucking says, I need you to stay under the radar, and then immediately gives you a tank. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. He's also, also the one responsible... Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but also, uh, 
at some point, I can't remember if it's before the Heisenberg fight or after it, when you find Mother Miranda's laboratory. And it's after the Heisenberg. Yeah, it's when uh, you play the Chris section. Okay, yeah. right, yeah. And she has notes on uh, each of the four lords and how she's looking for a suitable vessel. And while Heisenberg was a good vessel, she just didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was mutual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because we also find Heisenberg's journal in which he says that he does not like Miranda because he cannot trust her. Um, he has the middle army to try that... to liberate himself. Yeah, so he was doing his own experiments. Rather than implanting people with kiddos, he was essentially building robotic soldiers out of people by putting machines inside them uh, and planning on using that to defeat Miranda. Also, uh, I think my favorite Heisenberg thing is still when you first go to the factory and he's trying to bargain with you and was it Strum is just in the background making noises and like he's like, oh, sorry, just give me one moment, opens the vent. Will you shut the fuck up? Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, Sturm, the guy with the giant propeller on his chest who yeah. cut off his own arms because he's very stupid. Yeah, but as soon as uh, Heisenberg just moved away from the vent and didn't bother closing him, like, oh, he's going to drop us in there, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. The moment the camera pans away and you realize you're sitting in a chair with your back to the pit, you know no matter what happens, you're going down that pit. And you do, and it's fun. Um, I do like how Heisenberg likes you, and he gives you one last chance, like, come on, join me. And then Ethan's just like, I'd rather take my chances in the pit. Thanks for thanks. To be fair, you. I think we all know Heisenberg was 100% going to betray you at the end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it if you did agree to go with him, you were going to go kill Miranda, and then he'd stab you in the back and eat your baby or something. Yeah. yeah. He'd eat your baby to gain her power. Yeah, he wanted Rose's power to take, or to beat Miranda, but you wanted to save Rose, so your interests aligned to a point, but never Not... con connected. Boy, yeah, he yeah, wanted never... to get her powers activated so she could do all the crazy shit. Yeah. Which is hopefully what Resident Evil 9 is going to be. It's just you playing as the daughter doing crazy shit through magical powers. I mean, that's what the end makes it look like. Probably. Unless so which was your guys' favorite segment of the game? Hmm. Between the village itself, uh, Demetresk's castle, Bienviento's mansion, uh, Moreau's reservoir, and then the factory and the stronghold. Six different segments. I liked the um, section in uh, Dimitrescu's castle. Yeah, I think most people are going to say Dimitrescu's castle was definitely the fun because it was the most flushed out. Well, yeah, it was definitely the biggest one because that's the one where you're kind of establishing yourself the most and then the rest of them are a lot shorter. I'd say, well, the castle and the factory are the two biggest areas. The other ones are just kind of smaller areas with neat mechanics to play around, as I'd phrase it. But that's also the, But also the castle had... Uh... The additional threats of Miranda's three daughters at uh, three different locations throughout the castle who will harass you until you deal with them. And also Dimitrescu wandering the castle looking for you. And that I was absolutely my least favorite part about the castle because Dimitrescu just kind of wanders around the castle and sometimes you run into her, sometimes you don't. Uh, the three daughters, once you kill them all... The moment Demetresk finds you, she will just follow you till the ends of the earth because you killed her three daughters. That was the most fucking harrowing part of that entire gameplay, is knowing that giant nine-foot-tall vampire lady is chasing you, and she's unkillable until you finish this puzzle that you have to deal with. Well, it's kind of like the fun thing of it, too. Like, 
the castle is really the only spot I think in the game where you feel like you're in danger compared to the rest. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but outside the cat, because the castle, you always have to kind of play around where they could spawn, where they're going to show up and solving the puzzles with the Bienna Vanto house. The only time you really feel in danger is with the, you know, giant baby chasing after you. I didn't like the giant baby chasing me, but you're right. You're not really in danger. It's, there's a very creepy vibe going on, but even once the baby spawns, you don't really feel like you're in danger because you know the paths that it can take. Yeah. Uh, and but, by the time it does spawn, if you've looked around the area enough, as you should be doing in a Resident Evil game, you would have already been made aware of and taken note of the locations of the closets and beds you can hide in and under. Exactly. It's really... Uh, you don't even really need to hide so much. It's once the baby spawns, you run to where it spawns to like force it to spawn to unlock the path. Then you just run around it, open up a box, run to the other box, collect the fuse, and then run back to the first fuse. Like there's not a huge amount of like running and hiding from the baby itself once you know the paths that it can take. Exactly. And then uh, obviously with the Monroe area, it's not actually a lot of threat. Like the most threats you get is when you have to go get the boat key. But that's just normal kind of like zombie stuff. The rest is just kind of like timing. Yeah. To be fair, I was not fully aware of the timing situation the first time I dealt with Moreau and just died twice in that section because I wasn't paying close enough attention (laughs) and just kept getting because his attack is he eats you whole. So if he catches you, then you just die instantaneously. Uh, and the problem is, the first time he killed me in that area, I was facing the wrong way, so I didn't see him coming and didn't Ooh. understand what the trigger for me dying instantaneously was. <laughs> and the second time, I saw and recognized the trigger, but didn't realize that's what had killed me the first time. So it killed me again, and then I was aware and didn't fucking die after that point. But it is absolutely something that can kill you. It's just less of a threat once you understand what you're dealing with. Yeah. And then finally, like, well, first off, the village doesn't really feel that threatening throughout the game. It's more so exploring it with, like, things jumping out at you. So it might have some spooky moments, but that's about it. The stronghold just feels like that's your most empowered moment of the game. Yeah, it's literally you running in a straight line, killing everything that is in front of you. It's at this like point, there's ammo dumps everywhere. Places. Yeah, it's... The stronghold is probably the funnest part of the game because there's no danger at all. You are the danger at that point. <laughs> yeah, because like the whole thing is Heisenberg's raising an army to fight Miranda. Heisenberg is standing between you and Miranda, so you've got to fight through Heisenberg's army to get to Heisenberg oh, uh, to well, get that's through the, him to get to Miranda. That's the factory you're talking about. The stronghold is the part where you're fighting through the army of Lycans. Because right. uh, fucking Heisenberg realized he wants you to take out Miranda. It's never explicitly said in the game, but it seems clear to me that he takes your part or his part of your baby and just puts it behind Miranda's army. And he's like, all right, go fetch Ethan specifically so that you wipe out her army for him. So he only has to deal with Miranda. Right. And then and when you works. get to the factory and don't agree with him, it's not so much you're fighting through his army, more so he drops you into his lab, and then you're trying to get your way out. Mm. Yeah, it's not even so much that you want to kill Heisenberg himself. It's just that you want to leave the factory, and he's in your way. Because he's an asshole. But he's a fun asshole. But yeah, then, I would pro- probably say my favorite part was the castle as well. You're right, I think everyone's just going to say that. Yeah, I think it's just the castle was... 
it felt like it was the spot that had the most attention put into it, and that shows. It's kind of like if you ask people whether they enjoyed, in the original Resident Evil game, the mansion itself or the underground facility. Like, the underground facility is cool, but the mansion's what actually feels the most like the game. Yeah, it's alive and it's very dynamic. And also it helps that all the promotional material focused on, like, the mansion and Dimitrescu. Well, that's also you don't want to spoil stuff, right? Yeah, so it almost builds it up like Dimitrescu is the big boss. And then you realize you've only read about the first boss out of five. Yeah, but that's also what uh, everyone started to expect and anticipate and start theorizing around. So, of course, that's what everyone's at first drawn to the most. Yeah. To be fair, we've talked about four of Mother Miranda's greatest creations. We haven't talked about her truly greatest creation, though. That's the fucking Duke. The Duke's the best. <laughs> well, to be what, fair, the, the Duke has no confirmation he? about anything, though. We don't know if he was her creation, if he's a figment of Ethan's imagination. Yeah. All you learn is that even he doesn't really know what he is. It's not that he doesn't know, it's that he refuses to tell you anything about himself. I mean, it's possible he doesn't know, but when Ethan asks him, he just straight up is like, no, that's a secret. Uh, sorry. Well, he says uh, specifically, even he can't answer that. Fair. Uh, but he like seems like weirdly delighted about collecting the remains of the other lords, or of the lords themselves. Like, he has special comments about fucking Lady Demetrask dying or Dr. Moreau dying. Um, he has his own personal room, both inside the factory and inside of Lady Demetrask's castle. So, if he's not a figment of Ethan's imagination, which now that I think about it is a perfectly valid explanation for what's going on there, um, then he kind of has to be somewhat aligned with Mother Miranda. Maybe he's like the castle's mutation. Maybe someone did a uh, unregistered experiment with the Keto on the castle. He's just a friendly merchant. Yeah. Although, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, if you look through the planning and design background stuff, he was actually intended to be one of the lords. Okay. I believe it. I look forward to him showing up in future games. I don't know that he will. I choose to believe he will. You know what? So we kind of discussed outside of this podcast a bit of a theory. And the theory that we came up with, or I guess maybe the internet came up with and we just discussed, uh, was the fact that because uh, Rosemary has all of the Metamyces kind of power infused into her, and one of the things that the Metamyces is known for is it contains the memories of everyone who it's merged with in the past. It technically should have Ethan's memories inside of the Metamyces, and if Rose has that power, then she might also have Ethan's memories as well. Which does mean, even if the Duke was entirely a figment of Ethan's imagination, <laughs> there is room for the Duke to show up in the next game, Ooh. just as like it transferring Ethan's memories of his <laughs> wild imagination into Rosemary now, too. Yeah, because uh, what this ends up doing is we find out that the mold is pretty much a genetic modification of the Metamyces. So th- whatever is going on with this trilogy of 789, it's focused around the Metamyces infection specifically. And if you remember from 7, there was the afterlife conversation that Ethan had with Jack. 
And this kind of explains that because the, where the mold works the same way as the Metamyces core, it shares the memory between all of them, also hinting at the fact that, you know, Ethan's been fully infected by the mold. So yeah. all those powers should transfer over. So it's not just that uh, Evelyn was born from the mold, which means she should have that ability as well, just like Evelyn would have. But she was, because we haven't actually mentioned at this point, Rose was broken up into four flasks and you had to go yeah. collect them all. We kind of mentioned it in passing by saying that's what Heisenberg did with his piece of her, but yes. her She was fed to four flasks, which were labeled torso, heart, arms, and legs, which still kind of leaves out the head, but whatever, we'll not acknowledge that right now. I think it was um, torso, head, arms, and legs, actually. Yeah. It could have been, but I could have sworn it was heart. Oh, uh, it was head. Uh, my bad. Um. Anyways, so yeah, she split up into four parts and put in flasks. And then part of the ritual is they merge those flasks with the Metamyces because Mother Miranda's whole goal throughout this entire multiple years that she's been alive, or multiple centuries that she's been alive, I mean, uh, has been her daughter Ava died, I believe, of the Black Plague. Oh, uh, Spanish flu, actually. It might have been Spanish flu. It was one of the famous historical deadly diseases. Um, so her daughter... Uh, Ava died, and this entire time, her she discovered the Metamyces shortly after that. She discovered its ability to retain the genetic uh, information for different individuals as well as their memories. So she merged her daughter's corpse with the Metamyces in the hopes that eventually she would find a proper host to carry the Metamyces so that she could bring her daughter back. Um, and that's why she created the Four Lords, because they were all attempts to create a potential host for Ava. She decides that Rosemary is the perfect host. So what she ends up doing is taking those four flasks of Rosemary, merging them with the Metamyces, and then trying to bring Ava back using Rosemary as a host. Unfortunately, she just brings back Rosemary and gets very confused and angry. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what happened with Rosemary. D did you guys expect the Rosemary being cut up aspect? No. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that either, but as soon as it happens, like, of fucking course that's the play, because she has the regeneration powers of Ethan. Yeah. yeah. She's of the Metamyces. She can just get the water dunked on her and be put back together pretty easily. But yeah, after you defeat the Four Lords, all the pieces are put together, and then obviously uh, Miranda does end up killing you by ripping your heart out, and that's when you have the little memory vision with Evelyn, who's like, haha, you've been dead the whole time, sucker. You think you just died? No, you were always dead. Always. Even before your head was caved in by Jack, you were always dead. <laughs> uh. Uh, and then we get the Chris section where uh, Chris mows down the city. This yep. section really feels like if you're kind of stupid and haven't caught on to the fact that Ethan's a mold person, because you don't even get the Ethan meeting with Evelyn. Like It shows Ethan getting his heart ripped out and then just cuts to Chris. So like if you haven't been following along and aren't aware of what's going on with Ethan, you might fully just believe at this point, Ethan's dead, so you have to finish the game as Chris. Uh, and as Chris, you're trying to go into the town, destroy the Metamyces, and kill fucking Mother Miranda. Uh, and that is also another super fun segment of the game. Because it's literally just you as Chris running and gunning, killing fucking lichens everywhere you go. Although there's one part in that sequence that I find a little redundant is where you've got to use a target locator on a castle 
like three times. It's like, hey, you already have the target. Just fire again once you're reloaded at the same spot that you just fired. Oh, uh, yeah, but, but how is he going to know it. where it's at, Matt? Your gun is already <laughs> aimed at it. You don't need me to target it another three times. Before. Have you Jesus. not heard of recoil, Matt? His targeting was pushed off by recoil. He uh, needs to retarget it and make sure he's aiming at the right spot. His name but is also, Umber yes, Eyes, had, not Steady Hands. Also, I had the exact same thought. When it was playing, <laughs> I was just like, this is fucking stupid. Like, when he's... Because the way the timing works out is the enemies come in waves, and the whole idea is you're supposed to kill a wave, then target, and then while it's reloading, another wave spawns and you kill them. But if you're not super quick at killing the wave, then he'll reload midway through another wave. And it was just like, he, I shot the fucking house, killed the wave, uh, and fucking Umbrise comes on the call and he's like, all right, uh, just cleared out, uh, just finished reloading. I need you to target for me again. Just as a fucking wave spawns in and starts attacking me and I'm shooting them back. And then fucking one of them jumps on me from behind and starts like pushing me to the ground. You get the little animation of you being mauled by a lichen and then over the fucking radio i hear from umbrise is everything all right captain i really need you to target that for me otherwise i don't know where to shoot it's like little fucking busy right now umbrise <laughs> oh, is it out of batteries is it not working chance. anymore <laughs> yeah i think he specifically asked if it was out of batteries it was just like how about go fuck yourself is that an option maybe they shouldn't be running on batteries uh but yeah you do that and then you find a deep underground cave which is where you find the metamyces and it just looks like a big old baby made of mold yep. and then you end up finding mia and the lab and the lab it, uh really cool thing it kind of uh uh what's the name of the uh, movie spencer or oh, no. no so the lab looks like uh the one from one of the alien movies but I think it's the prequel ones. Promethean, that's it. Oh, yeah. It's not Prometheus. It looks like the lab from the next one. Fucking, uh... Oh, God. I can't remember the name of the movie. But it's the most... Or the one right after Prometheus. Yeah. Um, the only difference is instead of Xenomorphs, it's, uh, you know, experiments with the Kadu and all that. And also you learn that... Uh, Alien Covenant, that's the one. Spencer, the... Uh... Oswell E. Spencer, the founder of Umbrella Corp. One of them. One of the founders. Was a student of Mother Miranda's after she saved his life. And he just fucking steals her crest and's like, that's gonna be my company logo. Yeah, and uh, we learned that his viruses that he worked on stemmed from the mold originally. Well, yeah, it stemmed from her work. And he even like calls her out and he's like, your work's interesting, but you're all about trying to save a single life. I want to change the world forever. That's what I'm doing at Umbrella. So I need to kind of ignore your work and do my own thing. And it's just like, I know how that plays out, buddy. You're, it's not going to work out well for anybody I mean, what you're trying to do. Technically, he does change the world because the Umbrella stuff kind of shifts the world moving forward after the raccoon incident. Yeah, I didn't say he didn't achieve his goal. I said it's not a good goal to try and achieve based <laughs> on the way it plays out. But yeah, we find it like he did like do a lot of medical stuff with Miranda he doesn't stay on the mold itself, though, because he ends up finding the flowers in Africa that end up becoming the uh, progenitor virus, which becomes yeah. the G, the C, yeah. Uh, T. the yeah, the T, the T Veronica. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, the mold inspires him, but he ends up basing it off of the progenitor virus in Africa. Yeah. He deems the mold not effective for his purposes. A little too specialized. Um, 
Yeah, which kind of leads it to be the third game might be entirely about another Metamyces colony, but given that we've now gotten rid of what is presumably the original Metamyces and the variant Metamyces in Louisiana, it's also entirely possible we'll go back to dealing with Umbrella directly in the uh, Resident Evil 9 as well. Well, I, I guess that just... brings us to the end of the game, because there's some definitely a lot of speculation moving forward, because what ends up happening is, yes, Ethan comes back after getting his heart ripped out, but he pretty much uses the last of his mold powers and the regenerative capability to finish off Miranda, which kind of also killed him. So Chris makes it off with Rosemary and Mia, obviously. And during the Chris section, we forgot to mention it, but the BSAA shows up to try to fight off the infected while Chris does his thing. You can also tell that at some point in time over the previous years, Chris has become very not fond of the BSAA. He has some very negative things to say about them when he sees them showing up, asking what they're doing meddling in this situation. Um, he's stopped working at all with them, whereas in the past he was loosely associated with them, at least. Yeah, well, he's, and, he's a founding member of the BSA, actually. Right, yeah. And now he finds out they're even using fucking uh, BOWs to uh, invade this village. Like, Yeah, we find out that the uh, BSA soldiers that were sent in were all BOWs. So, it's also entirely possible that less to do with uh, village and more to do with the BSAA, because it's entirely possible something's going on at their headquarters that caused Chris to have such a negative opinion of them and also to cause them to start using BOWs. So. Well, I was actually thinking the same thing because one thing that also bugged me was why did the BSAA fucking put Ethan and Mia so close to Mother Miranda if they knew who Mother Miranda was? Uh, yeah. The fact they that they sent They orchestrated in... the whole thing. Like, the attack on the transport when they were transporting uh, Ethan and the... Uh... Ethan well, and Rose and the corpse of quote-unquote Mia. Well, the thing, uh, the truck was, essentially what happened with the truck, it wasn't an attack from outside, it was the corpse of Mia that they thought was the dead uh, Miranda. Right. Just, I'm not dead anymore, haha, <laughs> I was joking, and then killed everyone. Yeah. Because um, they, they specifically, like, oh, uh, she can mimic any living thing, we didn't suspect she could also mimic the dead version of that. Yeah, we didn't expect her to mimic a corpse. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, so she's the one who kind of attacked the carnival, not carnival, uh, convoy, and stole your daughter from it by attacking from the inside. But yeah, I would not be surprised to find out that Umbrella or some other shadowy person or group uh, infiltrated the BSAA and started pushing them towards well, darker agendas. We already have the name of the shadowy group, and it's the one from Seven, the Connections, the one that uh, right, Baker Boy yeah. was working for and oh, yeah. Mia had worked for. So I speculate that the Connections is probably in some capacity taken over the BSAA. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't think... It's impossible it will involve the Metamyces some way, but I don't think it's going to be directly about another Metamyces colony. I think it's going to be more about the connections and their involvement with uh, the BSAA. To be fair, it could be linked to the Metamyces still because the connections were the ones who created the genetically modified uh, Evelyn, right? So they might still yep. have... They they definitely have all the data that they got from the brother uh, in Seven. So that they could have possibly got samples of the Metamyces still that they could be using. Yeah, and they could well, easily, with said potential samples, set up a... Uh synthesized colony of the new variant or whatever new variant they which make. if uh, which on that same thought if they're making bsaa soldiers bow's 
having them linked by the mold with regenerative powers and be able to communicate mentally. That's like super soldiers right there. Yeah. So I, I, what I meant wasn't that it's not going to involve the mold. It's just from my perspective, it's more likely going to involve the BSAA fucking headquarters or secret lab where they're making their BOWs. Even if that does involve the mold, I just mean it's going to be that more so than it's just going to be a random rural town where the Metamyces has broken out of through some form. And that whole uh, super soldier level BOW type thing also seems plausible because at the end, when we get that little last bit with Rose, we get a tidbit that, or we get a hint that she is quite powerful as they have trained snipers ready to take her out on the drop of a dime. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? She should hypothetically have all the same powers that Evelyn had. On top of that, she went through the Metamyces, so whatever powers that entails as well. And a little interesting thing here. So, obviously this game ends with the father's story is now done, speculating that it's going to be Rosemary that is the protagonist moving forward in some capacity. Or at least her story at the very least. And we know Chris is looking into the BSA, so the idea is that she's kind of a part of Chris's special unit now, trained by him to deal with whatever's coming. And that's what the end of the game is taking you to. So the big thing, uh, that question that people are having going forward is what capacity this whole Rosemary ability thing is going to end up happening. And some people have speculated we're going to get like a 15-year time jump. Which is an odd thing to do in Resident Evil because a lot of the old guard characters kind of get forced out due to age. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Where Chris was putting it 15 years further in the future, it's going to hard to have him be an active boulder punching part of the story going forward. So there is something a lot of people did notice, and you, you only notice this if you're actually paying a little bit of attention and it kind of makes sense in the world too. But some of the vials specify on the side that without constant injections, rapid aging will happen. And if you remember, Evelyn also started rapidly aging after she took over the home in Louisiana because she wasn't getting her medical checkups. So the idea is... So 15 years didn't actually pass. Rosemary rapidly aged up to the point where she looks roughly 15 years old. Exactly. That's a working theory that will have it not be super far in the future. Like, it'll obviously be a bit in the future, but not too much. That way we can still have the BSA investigation be part of the story. That's a good possibility. There's also the small chance, though, that since Rose was born in the way a typical baby is born, then she'd be completely stable. But It's possible, but it is a way... There is a mechanism in the universe, if they want to invoke it, to have Rosemary not be an infant and also not have everyone else be aged out of being a part of the game. Because we know Evelyn went from child to old lady in the span of about... Was it two years? Yes. And uh, the vials that Rosemary is split up amongst state that without constant injections, uh, it will start rapidly aging. Yeah, that could definitely explain some things. Yeah. And uh, that also leaves in the possibility that uh, we we might play as Rose, or even in part of the game, we might play as Mia as the protagonist. Yeah, and me as a character, I feel like is very interesting with what they set up about the connections. And having her, I kind of just sit out most of this one doesn't feel as good because Mia has been shown to be able to hold her own in these situations. So she is combat trained. Yeah, I want to see more Mia in action situations. 
Well, to be fair, they kind of had to have her sit this one out just due to the nature of for the twist to work, you have to think she's been dead all along. Uh, if they have her be an active participant of the game, then it's pretty clear she wasn't gunned down in the streets in the very beginning. Uh, so there's a logical reason why Mia wasn't actively fighting alongside you throughout this game. But yeah, it would be very nice to have some segments where you got to play as Mia in the upcoming game. It would also make sense uh, because where we already discussed how the kind of memories are imported uh, through the Metamyces, so it's entirely possible that uh, Rosemary will have access to Ethan's memories, that there could also easily be segments where you're playing through as Ethan, Ethan, either through Rosemary just imagining how Ethan would handle a situation, or just her remembering a somewhat related situation that Ethan went through during the time skip between 7 and 8. and it would it could easily be played in a similar fashion to how in Resident Evil 7 there's the segments where you find the videotapes and then you play as the camera holder and not just as Ethan. They could easily have segments where you're not actively advancing the world, but you're learning stuff about the world by playing through people other than Mia or yeah. other than Rosemary. And that's the thing too. This game could also have DLC things where we play as Mia in the village doing stuff as we did with Resident Evil 2 remake, which had the other survivors like ghost stories as well as we played clancy surviving a lot of the puzzles uh prior in the game through dlc yeah plus uh, i do believe we recently had an announcement or no, not an announcement but it's been teased that we're going to get some uh resident evil 8 dlc coming soon so wouldn't be surprised to hear that there is something like that where you're playing as someone other than ethan through little kind of scenarios exactly and uh there's one other thing I want to talk about about the ending before we start getting into a few other concepts of the game. But uh, there's a YouTuber I watch. It uh, goes by the name of Scooch. I don't know if you guys have seen him before. But he was talking about Resident Evil itself. And he made a statement that uh, I kind of realized was true in a degree. And it was that Resident Evil is the fast and the furious of video game franchises. Where they're all constantly trying to uh, one-up each other. Okay. Uh, which... This goes into speculation on Resident Evil 9 and something odd at the end of the game that kind of sets up. And when Rosemary's sitting on the bus, there's the mother and the daughter having a little conversation about a boy. And it's like, can he touch the moon? And he's like, well, no, he can't. It's like, what if he has a rocket ship? So there's this huge speculation online that Resident Evil 9 is you fighting zombies on the moon. Oh, no. I I would much rather that not be the actual game but instead be them teasing DLC that's coming for Resident Evil 8 is the fucking moon zombie scenarios. Just because that is so ridiculous. The idea of that being an actual part of the main story of the game is you fighting zombies on the moon rather than it being like a fucking story that you're reading about zombies on the moon and you get to play through the story that someone's being read. (laughs) No, Mia. You are the zombies. Then Mia was the zombie. zombie. Uh, But there was a lot of interesting, like, content from this game. Uh, Just talking about the stuff and possible DLCs. Uh, Apparently Ada was uh, speculated to be a character in uh, this game. And there's uh, early artwork suggesting that she actually was supposed to be in there. In fact, you know that part at the beginning where uh, Ethan meets the four lords and escapes? Yeah. Uh, originally the concept was going to be that Ada dressed as one of like the zombies hiding out there was actually going to rescue you and make the way for you to get out. I 
it would make more sense in some senses. It would make more sense as to how Ethan managed to escape that situation. Uh, if there was someone on the inside helping him out, it would also cause so many more issues with the rest of the game if she wasn't a recurring character helping you throughout the rest of the game. Oh yeah, she would have been uh, the rest of the game, but the only th- information we got so far that that scene would have been involving her as well, and she was supposed to play a role in the game. Yeah. It, just, it would case, have raised a lot of questions yeah. going forward. Although, if that was the case, then she probably would have taken more of a guiding role than or away, taking that guiding role away from the Duke and left the Duke as just the merchant. Yeah, well, keep in mind the Duke was also supposed to be just another uh, of the Lords. Yeah, so this was probably yeah. early on at the same time when the Duke was supposed to be another person you fight by the end of the game. But, you know, just to draw all the parallels to Resident Evil 4 that this game is set up. Yeah. To be fair, I kind of like the idea. So the means through which you escape is there's a big fucking meat grinder, essentially, or a wheel with spikes that's supposed to grind you into human meat. uh, And you manage to sneak into a back hole and hide underneath it and crawl away. So no one realizes you live initially. I always enjoyed the, uh, especially after my first playthrough, when I realized how much Heisenberg just wanted to work with you and use your baby to defeat Mother Miranda. I kind of like the idea that Heisenberg just intentionally put a hole through which someone could escape the dungeon in there all along. And he just insists on dropping Ethan down there to as like the first test to see if Ethan's worth wasting his time to see if he can find someone to defeat Miranda with him. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's definitely the vibe I got that he was letting you go, but he, but not like just you're free, but more so a test. Yeah, yeah. It it seems like a lot of the stuff that happens through the game from Heisenberg's perspective is less so him trying to kill you directly, and more so him putting you into a difficult situation to see if you're capable of getting out. Because if you are capable of getting out, then you might be able to help him with Miranda. Now, just before we move on any further away from. Uh what we just said about the Duke. I just had a thought. What if when the Duke was intended to be one of the Lords as one of the bosses, it's like, you know, each of the Lords that you defeat, they drop like a crystal husk of that was part yeah. of them, right? And you Except can sell for them for a lot of money. Viento. doesn't drop a crystal part of herself. She just drops her doll and you sell the doll. Yeah. But uh, you can sell them all for a lot of money. What if the whole uh, gimmick around the boss fight with the Duke was that uh, his fight would become more difficult with each boss part that you sold him. That's like interesting. He was able to use the corpses. Uh, so he would uh, be the fifth one that you fought, and each one of the earlier ones that you sold to him, he incorporated some of their boss mechanic into his... into your fight with him, something yeah. like that. And what if yeah. you saved Whereas, them for multiple runs and sold them all to him at once and you just became a fucking impossible beast? Whereas if you uh, refused to sell any of them, you wouldn't have had as much money to buy upgrades or ammo and stuff, but in uh, return, the boss fight would be much easier at the end. That's definitely a cool concept. Yeah, it's a neat idea. I prefer to think that he's going to be the boss of Resident Evil 9. <laughs> and he's going to Fucking resurrect his four old friends and use to uh, claim Ethan's debt. So, uh, kind of back on the topic of the DLC, I was thinking about it, and there's kind of like set DLCs I wouldn't mind getting. 
one of which, which I guess technically is four, uh, getting a DLC for each of the lords unique, where you're like just someone who's trapped in their area trying to get out to give like a little bit more attention to them. Because I feel like like Bienaviento and Monroe just didn't get a lot of stage time, unfortunately. And like, I feel like there's kind of already stuff built into that. Like, uh, when you're going through Bienaviento's part, one of the like NPCs you keep reading about but never hear or like directly interact with or see is the gardener that worked for the Bienaviento's house. So they could very easily have you playing as the gardener who's going through that. Uh, friggin' in the factory, you could easily be playing as the guy who gets turned into Sturm at the end, and it's just you trying to escape his thing. Like, there was multiple, uh, throughout each of the, like, kind of dungeons that you ran through, there wasn't so much one with uh, Moreau's that I can think of, but there probably was one, and I'm just not thinking of it. But in each one, if you read, like, the dialogue or the diary entries that were around there, they talked about, like, towns members who had been a part of the household in the past, and, like, their tragedies that happened to them, but it never went into the specifics of, like, all the bad stuff that happened to them. It's just, like, there was someone who was interacted with around here, and, like, it didn't go well for them, so they could very easily do you playing through the story of just different villagers who were perhaps even just working for the boss at first and that did something to end up on the wrong side. And now you have to try and escape their house and you end up not escaping and getting murdered brutally, but it's still a lot of puzzle for you to try and solve through to escape. Yeah. I would like, like one for each of them, a Mia DLC if possible. And back on the Ada thing, they could actually still say Ada was involved with the story in some capacity, but there's no reason for her to get involved with Ethan specifically. Yeah. She's usually used to set up future games anyways. Stealing random yeah. viruses or samples. That is true. Um, I like the idea of just kind of ludicrous fucking scenarios. That ludicrous in the game? Not ludicrous the fucking rapper, but like ridiculous situations of yeah, like... Like Resident it, Evil 7's DLC where you played... Uh relative of the baker family and literally punched your way through the swamp joe baker yeah uh just the idea of it less so being them like uh you playing through like very realistic and puzzling situations and more so it just being like stories that were told by people and because they like open it all up with them reading the storybook about the village of shadows to rose so I like the idea of it just being them reading other stories to Rose before she grows up, and you just playing through ridiculous situations involving Rose. Um, or just play through as, like, Ethan dealing with, like, her reading a story about clowns, and now you just have a whole clown scenario where you're killing killer <laughs> clowns, and it's just unpleasant for everyone. And I don't know why I chose clowns, because that one actually really upsets me the more I think about it, but I can't <laughs> stop talking now. Or even a DLC about how... Mother Miranda first found the village, and what happened to the village when she first arrived there? Well, she's always been in the village. Yeah, the village was kind of built around her initial lab. Because she she found the Metamyces in the mountains, and then built her lab to study it, and then the village kind of popped up around that. Right. But you could still have it be about the early days of the village. Mm -hmm. Because she has been there for hundreds of years. And the villagers all... 
think she protects them. But they're just experiments to her. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, out of the four lords, do you guys have a favorite one? Uh, let's readjust that question, because obviously the answer we've all already stated is Heisenberg. Uh, Actually, Heisenberg's not my favorite. Okay. Um... Jeez, my computer... My monitor turned off for a second. I was nervous that my computer was going to just die again. Um... Heisenberg's the most fun. I think the most interesting one is how I'm going to choose to address the question. Uh, is probably actually Dr. Moreau, from my perspective. I was going to say Moreau, too. I just like the idea of him starting off like less so as uh, Miranda's like or like a test subject, because the other ones all were very clearly test subjects who showed promise, and so she made them lords of hers. You kind of get the feeling, based on the diary entries you read, that Moreau was initially a scientist who was like doing the test for Miranda, and ended up having to get tested on himself to uh, be allowed to stay in the town. So I found him really interesting. Yeah, like he's he's a joke, really, when it comes down to it. Uh, at the beginning, you like he's the one you just immediately steal the thing from, and he's like, "Oh, please yeah. don't," because he's too busy throwing up and watching TV. Yeah, the yeah. first time you come across him, that was literally the funniest part of the whole game to me. You just sneak up, and you see him just watching TV. And you reach through the window and grab it, and you're like, hey, I'm taking this. Peace. But, like, at he's the like, same time, no. like, he, he's almost Sorry. feels inspirational, too, because once he turns into the monster and he's chasing around his area, he's like, I'm the best! I'm like, man, well, I can't hate this well, guy. He literally goes from being the lord who you immediately take his fucking item from to being the lord who one-shots you. None of the other lords that you interact with hundred to owe you. Everyone else, like, deals damage to you and fucks you up. And, like, there'll be cutscenes where they can defeat you if you fuck up things. But he is the only one who, in a single attack, will put you right to the dead screen if in nothing else happening. Like, he's... Kind of goes from being the little shitter to the most terrifying one very quickly. And it was all confidence. Yep. Now, my favorite lord is Dimitrescu. Yeah, of course it is, you fucking pervert. <laughs> Sorry, that was uncalled for. Um, for what um, reason do you find her to be the best? Well, because, uh, as I've already stated, she was the one who was most built up before the game released but also there was quite a bit about her lying around in the castle and we got tidbits of like, like how you were saying you wanted DLC about how servants were going about their daily lives and then got on someone's bad side there were tidbits about how servants were just doing their jobs and uh, how the lords like or how Dimitrescu and her daughters reacted when they made a little mistake. And they're like, oh, the, that servant uh, disappeared that night. Never saw them again. Opened a window or some other shit. Yeah. yeah. It, it just seemed like uh, Dimitrescu had more space to be flushed out at the beginning well, yeah. of the game. Kind of like how we already discussed the fact that the castle was the most flushed out and the one that it seemed like they put the most time into it. Just due to that very nature, there was more kind of notes and character development built around Demetresk throughout that uh, whole castle. So mm -hmm. 
Donald Trusk also just had more fucking character growth and yeah. more character development. I definitely enjoyed her. Like, I've realized now my comments when you first said that Lady Demetrusk was probably your favorite lord uh, made it seem like I thought that was a dumb decision. She's definitely up there. I I think Bienviento was my least favorite of the four lords. Yeah, um, I, I think Bienviento had some of the most potential for something, but unfortunately she just didn't, ha- like, she had the least content out of everyone. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that, that I, was mainly because of the character's personality. Yeah. Because like they themselves, the reason they used puppets was because they did not like dealing with people. Yeah, like Bianvanto is the one I wanted to like the most. Yeah, and then of course Heisenberg is Heisenberg. Yep, Heisenberg. Oh, I will say Heisenberg was the most fun. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he was the most interesting of the uh, as four lords. as a lord. He's not a great lord, but he is a very interesting character and. How he kind of uh, uh, stands on the whole scale of things relative to the other lords and Miranda is interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's just such a huge juxtaposition from the other lords because as you're going through the other lords, anytime you like, once again, you get this delays with Bienviento just due to how her character works. But like, Dr. Moreau and Lady Demetrask both very clearly look up to Mother Miranda a huge amount. And you get dialogue lines and fucking journal entries from both of them where they're talking about how they want to be her favorite child and all that stuff. And then you get to Heisenberg's factory, and it's just him talking about how much he really doesn't like Mother Miranda and how none of them are her actual children and how it's kind of ridiculous how much the other lords look up to her. So it's a very stark difference between him and all the other lords. Yeah. To the point where like he feels less like a boss because the whole idea is you're fighting through these people because they support Mother Miranda, and then you're fighting Heisenberg not because he supports Mother Miranda or is going to stop you, but because he's going to try and stop Miranda on his own, and the way he's going to do it is going to not work with your own individual plans, and it's just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But also talking about the boss fights, uh, the Miranda boss fight. When I first saw that, my first thought was, man, I'd expect to see a boss fight like this in a Dark Souls or Bloodborne game. <laughs> Jesus. Except, obviously, first person, but you know. Actually, another fun thing. That whole vibe. Actually, another fun thing to mention, too, is how... Uh even though like each Lord had their own unique area with their own themes, how they were all like kind of themed after things as well. Cause clearly Dimitrescu is like Dracula. Uh, so vampire type stories. And then Bienviento is kind of like a ghost type setting. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Poltergeist Monroe, type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Monroe is kind of like a Cthulhu, like Lovecraft type area. And then Heisenberg is just straight on Frankenstein. Yep. Yeah. I guess we kind of get a Blair Witch vibe from uh, Mother Miranda, the little part that she's in. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Like Blair Witch, Dark Angel, Forced Witch type thingy. Yeah. Yeah, think... they all had kind of like callbacks to different genres of horror. Yeah, and I think that's truly what this game was based around for a lot of the stuff. Yeah, it seemed less like a horror game itself, and more so just a game that wanted to celebrate horror as a concept. Did, Which is can, a weird way to phrase it. Can you think of any other like horror aspects or like a movie monster they should have found a way to put in that could have worked really well? 
Not really. There's nothing that comes to mind for like fitting with the vibe of the vampires, werewolves, ghosts, and fucking zombies that uh, you got throughout the rest of the game. Well, they pretty much hit the head on. Uh, I guess mummies somehow, but ones. mummy feels like a weird thing to try and include. <laughs> Mother but Miranda, the- mummy. There we go. Yeah. Well, it still kind of feels too similar to zombie. It does. I'm just trying to think of like other classic movie yeah. monsters, and Mummy's the only other one that sticks out. But yeah, Mummy is just kind of like a zombie that happens to be wrapped in bandages. Uh, like a uh, Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde uh, situation could have been pretty cool. But that's kind of what you get from uh, Dr. Moreau anyways, because you have him in his mostly human form, and then he turns into the giant catfish monster. Yeah. Or an Invisible Man. Invisible Man would be another one. But how can you be scared of something you can't see? Uh, a little game called Amnesia the Dark Descent. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, the fact that you can't see it is probably what would make it the most fucking scary. If there was a segment where there was an enemy chasing you and like not even doing a huge amount of damage, just doing chip damage every time they caught you, and you could not see this enemy, that'd be the most horrifying thing. Like, it's entirely based around you wearing headphones and you having to listen for where it's coming at you from and run in the opposite direction and find places to hide. That sounds horrifying to me. I'm just glad there wasn't no big-ass spider. can't see me. That's not how it works, Matt. (laughs) Invisible Man objectively can see you (laughs) while you can't see him. Oh, that would actually make the flower mechanic make a lot more sense to me. Like, the flower mechanic as it is was a neat thing where you find big sacks of flour and you could shoot them to make a big puff oh, of yeah. flour and enemies would lose you in it. If they had the invisible man, that'd make that so much more interesting. Cause you would like have to strategically like listen for where he's coming from. And then you'd shoot the sack of flour and like his silhouette would be visible because it's an invisible man running through the cloud of flour. Or and even track his footprints. Where to shoot. Yeah. Oh, this is actually sounding kind of cool. Yeah. I'd have to lure him out into a snowy field. Well, hopefully they steal our idea for the DLC. Yeah, that actually sounds super dope. I want that to be in the DLC. Duke can turn invisible. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure that man teleports. I'm pretty sure that man's immune to damage because he makes the comment, like, if you fire while in a room where he has a shop, he makes a comment about not wasting your ammo. Even if you fire at him with the rocket launcher, he will still make the comment of, ha ha ha, I wouldn't recommend wasting your ammo. I'm not sure if that was a friendly reminder or a threat at this point, though. uh, Yeah, it felt more like a fucking threat to me. His (laughs) presence. Walls move out of the way for him. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and it's like said in some of the fucking like river, or not river, the like file entries, that he moves surprisingly fast. Like, yeah. He's horrifying to think of if he could go invisible. I don't like that idea. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of, like, for a horror idea that they could have put into something spider-like, but I'm happy that that's not in there. Yeah, same. Yeah, I can also fully get on board with the fact that it would have been horrifying, and I don't like it. Maybe, like, a it-like clown could work? No, I already described the clown scenario they're going to put in, and I also don't like it. they They already hit the mark with the creepy clown... Uh, from the birthday segment from, in Yeah, from the birthday seven? segment in 7. <laughs> yeah, they already had enough creepy clones in Resident Evil by now. And they had enough creepy bugs, both in the forms of uh, Dimitrescu's Black- daughters and the, the mother in uh, the Baker family. Uh, let's not forget Black Tiger, the original scary bug monster. <laughs> 
Black Tiger was the name of the giant spider, Matt. Yeah, yes, I remember. <laughs> okay, good. I wasn't sure if you had forgotten your playthrough yet. He'll never forget. Look, what a good name for a spider. spider webs. Does that mean spider boss? No, giant snake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still don't understand how that confuses you, Matt. It makes perfect sense. Well, I guess uh, the only logical thing to do at this point now is, uh, do we have any questions? Yeah. How did Ethan carry the Goblet of Giants? That thing is massive. Because he's a Chad, that's why. I love how, like, in my mind when that happened, I expected it to be kind of like the beginning segment when you're carrying Rose, and your hands are occupied with that. And so I assumed it was going to be something like that, where once you pick up the Goblet of Giants, you would have to, like, have your hands on that so you couldn't, like, shoot or kill anything. And so that would make that segment kind of force you into going to the factory after that point. I love the fact that you just pick up the Goblet of Giants and immediately just stick it in your attache case, and you're just done with it. It's there. You're, <laughs> I was, forget about it. I was so positive that you just take it and shove it up your ass. <laughs> no, I am relatively confident that's not where Ethan kept everything. I, I Actually, I think probably the best question to ask here is what classic movie monster or horror movie should have been a section in the game. Yeah, I like I, we covered the major ones, but can you think of one we didn't mention, or can you think of a better way to invoke one of the ones we did talk about? Like, can you think of a smarter way to handle the mummy monster if they decided to include a mummy? Yeah, let us know. So, with that, I think uh, we should address our question from last episode, the Star Wars one, which was uh, if uh, the Star Wars prequels were a Neapolitan ice cream. Which movie would be which flavor? And we had a comment on this one on Instagram from Tachi Camargo. Uh, so her breakdown was episode one is the strawberry because it's the worst. Episode two is the vanilla because blah. And episode three is chocolate because it's delicious. Yeah, that was uh, approximately what me and Matt said when we discussed it, except we used the much more logical strawberry argument of it not being the worst. But it being the most polarizing, but otherwise, I think we agreed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, vanilla is the finest of the flavors. I must correct that mistake. Yeah, I think vanilla and chocolate should be reversed there, but this is her opinion, I guess. Yeah, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And some people just have the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Tashi, please don't be mad. Continue to comment. Also, everyone else comment. I promise I... No, I can't promise I won't make fun of your comment. The only reason we're making fun of comments is because there's not enough comments to overwhelm our making fun of them. Actually, I, I, honestly, if there's more comments, we're just going to make fun of more comments. I don't think there's... It, our podcast is going to involve less of us talking about the topic and more of us making fun what of comments. What is my podcast about? Making fun of people. <laughs> if I could fill a two-hour podcast with me just making fun of comments from our last podcast, that is absolutely what my podcast would be. <laughs> uh, God, that's sad that that's a podcast I'd be willing to make. Uh, yeah. Uh, recommendations? Is that what we should do next, probably? Yeah, what are you guys' recommendations uh, for everyone listening? Uh, so, my recommendation uh, is actually for a book that I was reading recently. Um, uh, it's a book called uh, All Fun and Games Until Someone Loses an Eye, uh, which is about a kind of serial killer who catches and kills people uh for 
being a bit too obsessed with modern day media is how I'm going to choose to phrase that because I don't want to get into too much of the like plot twists and stuff, but it's a really interesting kind of murder mystery uh, type book, but also kind of involves a little bit of weird shit and people trying to escape from puzzles that they don't fully understand how they got into. So kind of got a little bit of those Resident Evil vibes, but also lots of puzzles for you to solve. Cool. Right. And I'm going to recommend a movie that I somewhat recently watched, one that I may or may not have previously on a previous episode suggested not to watch. Warframe? No, that's not a movie yet. Um, this movie has uh, Mila Jovovich as starring character, just like uh, <laughs> some of the Resident Evil movies. Uh, Is it the, the same director? Hunter movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's the Monster Hunter movie. Nice. It's the Monster Hunter movie. Well, you're There's actively Aaron... recommending people watch that movie? Because, well, the monsters in it look good. But also, uh, what uh, brought it up to mind was, well, one, Mila Jovovich starring in it, and she was in the Resident Evil movies. But also because uh, there's one particular scene involving a very particular monster by the name of Nursilla that I will say... That is probably the most disturbing movie scene I have ever is had it, the misfortune of witnessing. Is you it the have, one scene that you forced me to watch? It and by forced me, I mean one scene. heavily encouraged. It may have been. Matt, why are you such a sadist encouraging people to watch this movie that you have objectively said is not a great movie? <laughs> I have been tortured by this, so others must be as well. That's fair. Okay, I'm not going to argue against that. What's your uh, recommendation, Keith? So my recommendation is actually going to be Silent Hill 1, uh, because I found it actually shares quite a few themes with uh, Resident Evil Village, even though Village is heavily based off Resident Evil 4. The whole concept of a father doing whatever it takes to rescue their child uh, in the most horrifying of circumstances uh, actually tell a really good story in Silent Hill. Yeah, I don't know how much we've talked about the Silent Hill series in general, but it is definitely up there in like the horror video game genre to the point where resident evil at least more recently has gone a lot more down the action rpg path or not rpg but just the action path more so than the horror path where silent hill has largely stuck to its horror guns so that one's definitely a very good series out there and the first one was super enjoyable and kind of sets up a lot of the themes that are reestablished throughout the rest of the series yeah and it shares surprisingly a lot of themes with resident evil uh village specifically yeah. So with that, let's take a look here. No one has correctly guessed the episode yet, but make sure to check out the Instagram each week where we do put our hints up online. If you can guess it correctly, you'll get a shout out on the episode when it goes live. And of course, if you have any recommendations or suggestions, you can always send those to our email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com, spelt the way words normally are. Of course, we also upload to all four... Uh, podcast platforms as well as youtube uh, so do make sure to comment like subscribe helps with the algorithms and all that stuff to get us out to more people word of mouth is definitely the biggest way to do that uh just make sure that uh everyone tunes back in in uh Fortnite when we talk about our favorite fuzzy friends like black tiger 